And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. It is Tuesday, July 21st. Welcome, everyone. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hyde here. And I got to say, it is, it is one of those things where we, we continue to update and, and do what we can here in the, in the studio. And I've got to say, and I don't know what it is, but it seems like... The addition of this microphone arm has put me back in the way the way things used to be back in uh, back in my radio days. So uh, it's 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 almost it's almost like I'm back in the group. But you know, it's funny because the last time I was in a radio station studio, actually on the air. It's been 30 years since I've actually been on radio. And and this, now, I know this is video and this is live and this is whatnot, but it feels like a little bit of that vibe is back a little, maybe, somewhat. I don't know. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us. If you are not subscribed to the channel yet, we do invite you to do so. Uh, I was up very late last night bagging and boarding comic books. And uh, it's it's funny because, you know, I mentioned the, you know, it's been 30 years since I've been in radio. It's been a very long time since I've seen very, very many of the comic books that I'm pulling out of totes and putting into bags and boards. I was like, oh, yeah, I've got this one. And so... I uh, I have to admit to have gotten distracted a little bit somewhat last night because um, instead of bagging and boarding, I was reading. <clears throat> so that kept me up a little bit. All right, fifty-eight days since an incident. That's good. We're 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 doing well. We're doing well. Coming up on the program today, in the bottom half of the hour, Jim Remar. He is the director of the Kansas Cosmosphere. He will be joining us to talk about what they're doing down there. Uh, the Liberty Bell, one of the capsules for the Mercury space program, is uh, is down there. We had the, the good fortune of seeing it up here when it was in Kansas City. We got in there on the very last day. They were packing it up as we were leaving, and... Uh, <clears throat> to to see that and to and to compare that with what uh Bob and Doug uh just went up to the space station and for the for the Falcon rocket we have made a lot of progress in some ways uh in other ways not so much so we'll be talking about that uh, and and we are going to get into for those of you who are into the comic scene we are going to get into the dynamite kerfuffle um not today uh but i do that does that does remind me we got a programming note earlier i had said that peter Semetti from alterna comics was going to be here on thursday that is now not the case because <coughs> time zone 
time zone confusion being what it is, Peter ended up getting double booked. So we have moved his appearance instead of Thursday. He will be here tomorrow. And I think the timing is a little bit fortuitous because now we can talk a little bit more about uh, what's going on with, uh, with Dynamite and Nick Barucci's uh, decisions over the weekend and the hit piece from Screen Rant. So uh, we are not ignoring that. It will be a topic of conversation, I'm sure. And uh, we have thoughts. I have thoughts. So uh, hello, Sci-Fi Sob. Yes, we are, we are going to be putting that link out. And uh, that is now going to happen tomorrow at noon here on the channel. I am drinking coffee today from a Stratica Museum mug. This is the, Ken the Kansas Underground Salt Museum, which, come to find out, when I got down there, they've got, uh, they've got one of the costumes that Christopher Reeve wore in the Superman movies. And that is uh, one of the places where there are uh, film reels. There are copies of movies down in the Salt Mine Vault, including one that's labeled Star Wars. And I would really like to know which version of Star Wars is in the Salt Mine Vault museum vault because a lot of people say you know when uh when <laughs> did superman's mind salt and superman 5 no um there although salt has its uses um and in some cases uh it it can be fairly destructive when you when you do the whole scorched earth thing just roll over everything destroy it all throw salt in the ground and nothing grows for a while. And there are, there are some people, uh, some institutions, I think probably we should be, uh, considering that because it is, it is a little bit, <sighs> what's the word that I'm looking for? It's gotten a little bit ridiculous out there, but we know the cancel culture is alive and well and active and, uh, we'll talk about it. Some. All right. If you would like, nobody's taken me up on this yet, Mrs. Boss. This is a really, really, really cool sticker that you can have. All you've got to do is send us a self-addressed stamped envelope, sci-fi for me, 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. And if you would like some discounts on stuff, superherostuff.com, we've got a discount negotiated over there, 10% off when you use the promo code sci-fi for me 10. And they just announced, I got an email today from them, and let me see if I can find it here real quick. They are... Uh, they have announced that they have brought in a new, let's see here, let's pop that in there, lounge fly bags and accessories. This is a new, a new line that superhero stuff is carrying, so there they are, some purses and backpacks and wallets and such. So 10% off when you use the promo code sci-fi for me, 10 I just give you a little bit of extra savings on 
that. So, um, so what do we talk about for the next 20 minutes? We're waiting for Jim Remar to come in, and uh, he's, he's busy with lots of different things today. But just wanted to get a few bits and pieces out of that. Um, how hard is it to send an... Uh, well, I can't, I can't email the sticker. <laughs> it would be interesting, though, right? I mean, you could... I suppose... I suppose if you've got a 3D printer and if you've got some tacky glue then I can email the image and you could 3D print the sticker and throw glue on the back of it. Maybe that could be a thing. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah. That is, uh, that is a thing. So, yeah. Um, where do we go from here? I mean, I, I want to talk about the dynamite thing, but I'm going to wait till tomorrow when Peter gets here because Peter has gone through this kind of thing himself, and I, I would like to to have his insight. Uh, let's see. Tonight, let's go ahead and talk about tonight. Tonight, a brand new Triple Bytes at 8 o'clock with all of the latest news for Star Wars and the Orville. And I'm, I'm debating on this one because this, one, this is Comic-Con at Home Week. It starts tomorrow. And I'm wondering if maybe we should wait because Star Trek will have some announcements, they say, and they're, they're doing their whole Star Trek universe presentation as part of Comic-Con at Home. I, it, might, it might not be a bad idea to wait until uh, later in the week and and do a Triple Bites after Comic-Con at home. So I don't know. We may we may stack these uh, and do uh, Triple Bites next Tuesday along with Salacious Crumbs after Comic-Con at home. I'm not sure. I haven't decided yet. But usually, normally, if we were on the regular schedule, if we hold to the regular schedule, then tonight would be a new Triple Bites. So we'll see. That's, that's one of those live off the cuff uh decisions to make so uh and yes uh sci-fi snob i know nobody uses snail mail anymore I, it is it is part of my it is part of my what's the word not adherence not fascination it's it's uh, it's uh, okay. Caught me, caught me with the with the word missing. The word the word is missing. This happens every now and again because I'm old. Um, I like to lean into the retro aspects of some of this stuff. Uh, not well, kind of nostalgia, but not exactly nostalgia I, I don't know i guess i'm old-fashioned ludditism yeah that that's yeah if if only i could be a luddite let me let me put it that way because every now and again i am of a mind that if if we were to get rid of all of the computers and the devices in the house and the office and the cars and the whatnot i would be perfectly fine i my my dream retirement is a cabin up in the mountains with no 
internet. I don't know. Sean Gordon Murphy had a, had, a, had a good idea. He deleted his personal Twitter account. I deleted mine a very long time ago. The only the only thing, the only social media presence really that we have anywhere right now is is the business pages. And if I didn't have those, I'd be completely off of social social uh, social media. Um, so there we are. Um, it, there's nothing retro about my shirt. It's my shirt. My shirt's not <laughs> Wait, how is... Okay, hold on. How is my shirt retro? It's, it's, I, I don't... I, all right, look. I, I, don't, I don't see... Look, I'm, okay, so... What is, what is this? I don't, how is my... I don't understand this. How long have you had it? How, how long have I had it? I don't know. I don't know how long I've had it. But it fits. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's it fits, and it doesn't mess up the camera. So you know those those are the two those are two qualifiers. Um, and I, no, I did not wear, I did not wear this on the first day of work at the radio station. I can tell you that much. <laughs> um, I was a little I was a little younger and skinnier back then. Um, more than likely, I probably was wearing a T-shirt of some sort. But, uh, but yeah, it's, there's, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with stripes. This little design here. You know, I was thinking that I, 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 I don't know that I've got that specific shirt somewhere. I do still have. I do still have some shirts that I wore in college, but it's mainly because I designed them. Uh, it's not necessarily that they fit anymore, but I did do some some T-shirt design for various organizations I was part of in college. So those <laughs> shirts I still have. One or two of them might still fit, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dig them out and try. So uh, one of the things that we've been talking about, and this and this kind of leans me away from the idea of doing uh, like a, a free for all Friday or anything, because this this is, this is what it's gonna be, right? <clears throat> oh, I don't know. All right, all right, all right. There are conventions that are going on. I have seen uh, the blowback about uh, Days of the Dead in Indy, uh, Indianapolis, and we probably need to address some of that as well. So let's talk about that, and and I need to do some looking into that one because the blowback is just, as I understand it, the blowback is just on one photograph that got posted where it wasn't supposed to get posted. And you look at, and this, this might be something that we talk about over on H2O and get uh, Mr. Harvey's perspective on it, because where, the, you know, and I mentioned my personal, my personal social media is I'm off of everything. I have to have a personal account on Facebook in order to run the pages, but I'm off of everywhere else. Everything else, all of the social media presence and accounts that I've got are related to the magazine. 
And there is that danger when you have the personal account. There is that danger that you're going to post something inappropriate to the wrong page. You're going to leave a comment or you're going to do a like or you're going to do whatever as the page instead of your personal account. And aside from the fact that you shouldn't be posting anything inappropriate anyway, depending on what that is, you know, that gets defined in different ways by different people. But it it only underscores the importance of minding your P's and Q's when you're online. And, you know, and especially in this day of cancel culture, looking into everything that you've posted since you were in junior high and, and using anything they can find to go after someone to actually post something that is most definitely inappropriate uh, is you're just you're just sealing your own fate there. Even if you think you're posting it to your personal account, even if you are posting it to your personal account, if it is decidedly inappropriate, it will come back to bite you. And that's one of those things where uh, with Days of the Dead, something like that apparently happened, and it's not going over well. So we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into that. That might be something that we look at over on H2O because we, um, we talk about various different things. And we talk about uh, mental health-related issues, and there's certainly some aspects of that to, to that, uh, that conversation as well. Uh, we're seeing online, somebody posted earlier today that they saw a promo for the new mutants coming to Disney Plus. Uh, Grace Randolph uh, posted about it, which is how I saw it. She said she's looking into it. If that's the case, the new mutants, uh, it looks like, could be coming to uh, to Disney Plus on in September. So um, we'll see about that. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. Jim Remar from the Kansas Cosmosphere joins us right after this. Stay tuned. You're watching Sci-Fi For Me TV. And it's a real pleasure for me as a longtime fan to be sitting here with Aaron Gray. Here with Larry Hama. We're talking with Kevin J. Anderson, best-selling author. Mr. Neil Adams. I am here with David Fritz. Axel Alonso, editor of Fan Days and at Dallas Comic-Con with uh, John Delancey. With Tom King. Kevin Conroy. Denise Crosby. Top Con. Pop Expo. Here on location at Star Wars We're Celebration. We're talking for our second time with Neil Gerard. Wichita, Kansas at Time Eddie. David Gerald. Now I've got Eric Flint. are here at Smallville Comic-Con. Wizard World St. Louis. Glitchcon in Bentonville, Arkansas. Yeah. Worldcon 74. We are talking with uh, Alan Dean Foster. We are talking with Charlene Harris. Quincy Allen. Suzanne Lampin. Sami. Ashley Eckstein. Mano Incarami. Jason Aaron. This is Sci-Fi for Me. Your portal to the science fiction multiverse. And joining me now, Mr. Jim Remar. He is the director of the Kansas Cosmosphere in Hutchinson, Kansas. Hello, sir. Jason. 
thanks so, for having me on. Well, thanks for thanks for taking the time. And I know with this uh, this being Apollo Eleven week and and the fifty first anniversary of that happening yesterday, I figured that uh, the Cosmosphere staff is is doing some things related to that. Um, I guess my my first my first question. Just to, to bring people up to speed, because some people probably have, you know, I mean, you've heard of Cape Canaveral, you've heard of Edwards Air Force Base, you've got Houston Johnson Space Center, you've got Space Camp down in Alabama. But then you have the Kansas Cosmosphere. And some people probably have not heard of this one. <laughs> <laughs> I would have bet you're right. Uh, how How is it that this sort of facility exists in the middle of essentially a middle of nowhere kansas i mean hutchinson is not that big of a place it's not near any major city in kansas how did how did the cosmosphere come to be yeah that's a great question and one that we frequently get asked um our founder uh patricia carey uh, was a lifelong lover of astronomy and in 1962 she wanted to share that love of astronomy with the community. So she raised enough money uh, to purchase a used star projector as well as a, a dome. And she set up the Hutchinson Planetarium in the poultry building on the state fairgrounds. Um, Patty's family was very well known, very influential in Hutchinson. And she, she was the type of individual that, that people couldn't say no to. Um, so the, the planetarium grew in popularity. Um, in 1966, the community college invited the Hutchinson Planetarium to, to come onto its grounds. And um, at that time, when the planetarium moved, we were one of the first planetariums affiliated with a community college. And as the planetarium continued uh, to operate, Patty began to ask, uh, "What what else um, is possible? What what larger purpose could this facility serve?" And, she began looking at developing a, a science education center. And as uh, you know, um, there exists science education centers on the coasts, major metropolitan areas, but nothing serving this area of, of the United States. And so in 1980, um, we opened the Kansas Cosmosphere and Discovery Center, um, slowly began acquiring artifacts. And, and today we house the largest combined collection of U.S. and former Soviet space artifacts uh, in the world that allows us to tell the, the definitive story of the space race uh, from both sides. Um, we also offer a number of um, camp opportunities, education programs, and so we went from a small seat planetarium in 1962 to a 105,000-square-foot institution that is one of the largest facilities dedicated specifically to space exploration. Now I I've been down there. It's a very impressive facility, and you you have things not necessarily space related. There was an SR seventy one down there at one point. Correct. We Is have that a, still there. Yep. You walk in uh, through the front door, and in our grand lobby uh, is an SR uh, mounted on uh, very large pillars. And what kind of uh, Soviet material is there? Uh, we have um, from uh, the Soviet era. Uh, things dating back uh, to the early 50s, um, going up through uh, the, the Soyuz, uh, Mir, and station programs. 
Uh, we've got a Vostok, a Voshgod, um, the, the early era suits. Um, so we have quite an extensive collection of former Soviet hardware. Yeah, it strikes me, you now one of the things that uh, has always bothered me about the current state of the of the space program, at least up until recently, is the fact that we've had to rely on Soviet rockets to get our astronauts up to the space station. And now we've got with uh, with the new program, with the Artemis program, and all of these other things that are that are in play at NASA, working with SpaceX. Do you see um, a new space race in the future in in some way, shape, or form? Because now we don't have to use the Russian rockets anymore. Uh, China is slowly making their way into uh, the space race of sorts. India has been doing some stuff. Right. Are we on the verge of a new space race and now we can be a contender with what what NASA has been doing with SpaceX? Yes, I, I think so. In fact, I just came from a, a webinar with uh, Administrator Bridenstine, uh, U.S. Senator Jerry Moran, uh, astronaut Nick Haig um, that, that we co-hosted. And I think that's absolutely correct. I think there's going to be a space race within this country as well as um, with, with other countries. Um, you're going to have Blue Origin uh, and SpaceX um, vying to uh, become the first uh, to reach the moon uh, within this country. And then you're going to have a race between China, Russia, India, the United States, uh, and others uh, to see who can get back to the moon. And for the rest of those countries, it's who can get to the moon. And so I think you're going to see some exciting uh, times in front of us as it relates to space exploration um, with the current administration's commitment to, to get back to the moon, to sustain life on the moon, and ultimately uh, to Mars. I think some of the, the best and most exciting opportunities related to the space exploration in this country are in front of us. You mentioned Blue Origin. You mentioned SpaceX. What about uh, companies like Virgin Galactic, or maybe not necessarily based in the United States, but right. uh, we've got a comment in the chat: Russia, China, India are probably not uh, rich enough, resource uh, heavy enough to to compete with us. Is that, or do you think, or, you know, do we have an advantage there, or is everybody essentially starting from the same point now? Um. I don't necessarily think we have an advantage. I think as far as resources go, China probably has um, the, the necessary resources um, to, to accomplish uh, the objectives. Um, I think what separates us is the uh, partnership between uh, government and, and the private commercial sector. Um, so you've got NASA on one hand uh, continuing to do what they have always done, but then you have the, the SpaceX's, the Blue Origins. You mentioned Virgin Galactic. I don't necessarily see Virgin Galactic playing in the same realm. I think they'll be more about tourism um, and, and getting tourists uh, up into um, low Earth orbit, into microgravity. Um, but I think the fact that NASA has willingly embraced um, the Boeings, the, the, the Lockheed Martins, the SpaceX's, the uh, uh, Blue Origins, will allow us to develop quicker, um, probably cheaper, uh, and more importantly, with, with more resources at our disposal um, than probably most countries. 
And what kind of involvement now, what kind of partnership does NASA have with the Cosmosphere? Are, are y'all involved in any way on the education side or you're just you're outside observers here? Yeah, we are. Um, we are not a, a NASA center, but we have a um, great relationship with, with NASA. Um, we have probably 60 to 70 artifacts uh, on loan uh, from NASA that are on display here. Um, we do uh, joint projects together. In fact, um, Cosmosphere was part of the team that restored the historic mission operations control room down at Johnson Space Center. Um, we regularly um, work uh, with NASA regarding education opportunities. Um, so while we aren't a official uh, NASA center, um, we have a very robust relationship with them. And you currently have the Liberty Bell 7 capsule from the Mercury missions down there, right? Correct. We're one of uh, only a handful of museums uh, that have each of the first three uh, early manned American spacecraft, Liberty Bell 7 uh, presently on display, as well as Gemini 10 and then Apollo 13. Um, so again, small community, uh, central United States, but one of only a handful of places in the world where you can come and see uh, the early American uh, space program. Now you mentioned Apollo uh, yesterday being the 51st anniversary of Apollo 11 landing on the moon. And I, I told the story yesterday. I remember the late 80s, Buzz Aldrin was on Nightline uh, talking to Ted Koppel. And he said something that stuck with me and has been with me the entire time. He said that Nixon had the plans for the space shuttle and the original program, as it was uh, laid out all the way back in the late 60s, early 70s, if we had followed that original timeline, uh, Aldrin says we probably would have had an operational base on Mars by about 1980. And my thinking is... Are we that stunted in our development now that how how far out is that reality now that we have taken basically six steps back right. in our space program? Because the space shuttle wasn't supposed to go on as long as it did. It was supposed to be replaced. That didn't happen for reasons, politics being among them. And you mentioned the current administration is very hot to trot to get back to the moon, get out to Mars. How much of that, without getting too far in the weeds here, how much of that do you think is politically motivated as opposed to the importance of space exploration just as a general concept? Well, I, I think um, a couple things. One, the fact that uh, we haven't been back to the moon uh, since 1972 is, is astonishing to me. Um, I like a Stratica mud, by the way. Uh, uh, so I, I, that, that, that's shocking. And, and again, as, as you mentioned earlier, um, up until uh, here the last couple of months, uh, we've been having to rely on, on Russian uh, boosters and, and vehicles to launch. Um, and, and I don't think any of us ever thought that was going to, to ever be the case. Um, I do think it's probably 10 to 15 years, if not longer, um, before we, we do ultimately get to Mars. I think we'll get back to the moon um, probably around in the time frame outlined. I probably think that's more politically charged at this point than it is based purely on space exploration. Um, I think 
space exploration was a novelty um, in the in the 60s and in 70s and then at the early early stages of the shuttle um, I think it has become commonplace or was commonplace during most of the shuttle program but I think with the new adventures um, uh, the, the new um, opportunities both from a tourism perspective as well as an exploration perspective I think space is cool again um, you just have to walk around in in any city and see kids wearing NASA gear. Um, so I think it's at the forefront. And while I, I do feel that uh, the uh, challenge to get back to the moon is probably more based politically than it is on exploration, I think the appetite for us to become explorers of space again is is where is is at a, a right spot, right time. Do you think that would be impacted in uh, a negative way with a change of administration? Like, say, if if let's say if Joe Biden gets elected president, or the Democrats take control of the Senate, because you know the House and the Senate are in charge of the purse strings, right? You know, and with all of that being so uh, divided along party lines. Would there be an impact from a change in administration in the in the timetable in the budgets? Because there are a lot there are a lot of people on that side of the aisle who don't think that we should be spending so much on space program. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I you know I I, I can't speak with one hundred percent certainty, but I do think a change uh, in administration uh, potentially could. Um, hinder our ability to achieve those objectives. Um, the uh, senator that chairs the Appropriations Committee for NASA happens to be from Kansas, uh, Jerry Moran, and, and he is a, a proponent of, of exploration and funding exploration. Uh, you have to look no further back than, than the most recent administration prior to the current, um, and, and NASA, um, the NASA budget was cut, and the uh, space program itself wasn't uh, a priority. Um, prior to that, it was. And so I think there, there is a risk um, in a change of administration and, and uh, the potential to um, further reduce the, the space program. Now, besides the Artemis program, we've got the, the, the solar orbiter that has been beaming back information. We've got the new web telescope that's going to go up uh, I believe next year. Correct. Are are you aware of any discussions we talked about? Uh, you know, with Virgin Galactic and the tourism aspects of things. Are you aware of any discussions of efforts to mine the asteroids? Say, or because going out and exploring is one thing, but having kind of a practical uh, end game on this right. stuff. Because yesterday we talked about. Um, a lot of the different practical applications, the dust buster and the, you know, the you know, memory foam and all of the different things that have come out of the space program, the technology research that now we have applied in regular consumer goods. There are a lot of people that talked about the, the potential of mining resources out in right. the asteroid field, for, for example. I think there's a couple of companies that are actually making plans to do that very thing and just set up a way station out by Ceres and, and that sort of thing. How much is that, with our current technology as it is, if we just stopped here and said, we're not going to develop anything new, how practical possible would it be to do something like that 
And what kind of benefit would there be to going out to the asteroid field and start mining out there? Sure. Well, I think not only the asteroid fields, but uh, the moon as well, uh, potentially Mars. Uh, if you if you listen to SpaceX and Blue Origin, um, both have uh, gone on record as saying um, colonization and, and utilization of resources on the moon, Mars, uh, is important, as you mentioned. Um, there are companies out there uh, who uh, look at potential for mining asteroids of resources. Several entities, including Blue Origin, have stated that uh, civilization as we know it today is using up the Earth um, and to continue to allow uh, humans to, to flourish is potentially going to require um, resources outside of, of this planet. Um, so I think there is opportunity. The uh, NASA administrator even today talked about uh, polar ice caps on the moon and utilizing that for water, for hydrogen, for oxygen. Um, so I think it's real. I think it's, it's something that we will see in the future. Um, and I think it is um, uh, something that is being emphasized, um, not, not just through NASA, but the, the commercial and private sector as well. Now, we had uh, a little discussion yesterday. I ran across an article uh, from somebody who apparently had hacked into the computers for a number of government agencies, Army, Navy, uh, NASA. And the story presents the case that we've actually had five colonies on Mars for the last 30 or 40 years. There's, there are spaceships. We have a flotilla. We have a space fleet. <sighs> How, how do how do those kinds of stories get started? I mean, I have seen some footage, uh, and and even with this most recent the SpaceX uh, project that came out, there are people that have posted you know the little UFO footage, and there's right. stuff flying around in in specific orbits around the moon, and it's stuff that's enough to make you question. But in this day and age, with uh, uh, Photoshop and After Effects and special effects just coming off the shelf at the computer store. Anybody can fake this stuff. Right. Where do, where do these stories get started? Is this part of this overall yearning to actually believe that there's something else out there, or are people just making this up just to, to get some attention? Um, I, you know, I suppose it d depends um, on, on which camp you fall in. I go back um the, the 1800s, early 1900s, and um, there's always been this fascination with UFOs or aliens or, or other life forms. And you know, I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that there isn't another life form out there somewhere. Um, the space um, uh, is vastly infinite, and this universe is, is uh, just a small portion of that. I think people either want to believe it and or um, have experienced something that leads them uh, down that path. Uh, I, you know, I, I tend to, to probably be um, more of a naysayer <laughs> than, than some, um, but I, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm, I don't have enough information to say one way or the other. Yeah. All right. Well, what is, uh, we mentioned the Liberty Bell. What, other exhibits are on display right now at the Cosmosphere. We go down there, and, and in this day and age with the pandemic, I'm sure there are some safety protocols that are in place. If, if we go down to the Cosmosphere now, what are we going to find? You're going to see uh, uh, 
gallery dedicated to the development of the V2 uh, during World War II, which uh, really was the, the precursor um, for our space program. Uh, a gallery that talks about the, the development of the X-planes, um, pushing the boundaries, the envelope. Uh, we have a the replica used in the movie, The Right Stuff, um, Bell X-1 on display. And then we introduced the, the Cold War and in, in the um, mutually assured uh, destruction between uh, the Soviets and, and the U.S. Uh, discover um, Sputnik and Sputnik 2 and our first attempts at, at launching satellites. And then we walk visitors through Kennedy's Challenge um, and then early spaceflight gallery where we compare and contrast the Vostok and the Mercury program, the Bosch God and the Gemini program, and then walk the visitors through the, the Apollo program with our Apollo 13 uh, capsule on display. And then Apollo Soyuz test project up through uh, shuttle and station. Now, do you see a, a point, we mentioned the space race, is it better for us to be competing with other space agencies, you know, the Russians, the Chinese, or is it better to try to work out some some sort of a cooperative effort? Because, you know, we've talked about politics and all of this. The, sure. the idea that science and space exploration and the benefit of mankind should possibly be an overarching priority here. Do you see that as a possibility or are we destined to com to compete no matter who's in the, in the running? Sure. I, I think maybe a little bit of both. I think ultimately it's a competition to see who can get back to the moon first, um, a competition to see if the U S can um, again, uh, rise to the challenge of, of putting, uh, an astronaut's footprint uh, on the surface of the moon. But then if you look at a larger, uh, larger objective of, of colonization, um, I think that's going to take um, multiple countries, similar to what uh, took place with the International Space Station. Um, while the uh, shuttle orbiter did the heavy lifting, um, that station was a, a multinational uh, project um, that was successful. And so I think you're going to see something similar to that play out uh, at the point some form of colonization of the moon and or Mars um, begins to take place. Now, do you see the space station ever becoming something like we see in Star Trek with space dock and this massive facility? Or is it going to continue to be this small hodgepodge of modules and and canisters and whatever else gets added to it as as things develop are we going to get to that point where we're going to be advanced enough to have uh, space bases and and that sort of thing and we talked about a moon base and and that being sort of the essential next step to to getting out to mars what does our technology look like for you 20 30 years from now well, I think you can look back to um, some of the early concepts from Warner Von Braun. Um, he envisioned a type of uh, way station or, or significant base, if you will, uh, in space. And so I, I don't think um, ISS um, will be used for that. I think it will continue to, to serve the purpose as it is presently. Um, I do think that 
20, 30 years from now, there will be some type of significant uh, space station or structure um, that serves both not only uh, the moon, but, but also Mars and uh, is that gateway um, that would allow humans uh, to inhabit and prepare um, that would allow us to then begin looking at further longer duration type of exploration. Now, you mentioned the longer duration stuff. That leads me to my next question about how we get out there with the current designs for propulsion that we have, because it takes days to get to the moon. It right. will take much longer than that to get to Mars. And I know people have been talking about warp drive and hyperdrive and faster than light travel and that sort of thing. And I know we're probably nowhere near that in terms of developing our technology. But what's the next step past ballistic rockets I mean, are, are we looking on ion drives or you know what what's next i think it's uh, it's either nuclear driven or ion drives um most of what i have read point to to those two types of propulsion systems um but you're right it it the, given our current uh, technology for propulsion it theoretically is a six to nine month uh trip to Mars um, and then the same amount of time back. Uh, so you're, you're talking significant amount of time um, that at this point, um, you know, may or may not uh, be possible. Uh, but I think as we continue to look at uh, the advent in technology, as new propulsion systems come online, um, those will be the propulsion systems that ultimately allow us to, to do longer duration space exploration. Now, you mentioned nuclear power. We have military vessels that have sure. nuclear power with them. Uh, but, of course, the the resistance to using nuclear power out in the civilian world uh, has certainly hindered the development of that. Or when we're talking about nuclear, a lot of concerns about fission, about the radiation, sure. the fallout, the, the radioactive waste. Is fusion a possibility? Are we, are, are we anywhere closer to having that kind of nuclear power, perhaps? I think so. Um, I, I, I think the nuclear energy or nuclear power um, has a negative connotation. Um, but I think if, if it is harnessed properly um, in, in a fusion type of um, a system, uh, then, then it can be quite safe. So we'd be maybe that much closer to matter-antimatter type of reaction with, with right. that kind of a thing. What about cold fusion? Is that is that a possibility? I, still? I haven't studied cold fusion um, much or read a lot about it, so I'm, I'm, I'm really not as knowledgeable about that as maybe some of the other um, propulsion systems that have been discussed. So what advantages would that kind of a propulsion system have? I mean, how much faster would we be able to go with nuclear or ion propulsion as opposed to just rocket power, ballistic stuff? Well, in, in terms of speed, I don't know uh, how much faster. It obviously would provide uh, better propulsion, uh, faster propulsion, but more importantly, probably cleaner, um, less costly, uh, and, and not as heavy. Um, right now, that's part of the, the limiting factor is the, just the sheer weight and volume of the, the propulsion of the fuel um, that is necessary. That, that's quite limiting. Um, when you start to strip some of that away, then, then you can really begin to uh, look at 
new opportunities and, and longer duration opportunities that just aren't there because of the sheer cost and in, in the volume that that exists given our current propulsion systems. Now, do you know if there's been very much research done in terms of like ram scoops and, and that kind of thing where the rocket itself is pulling in material that becomes fuel? Um, I, I'm not as familiar with that, but again, you you look back to uh, to World War II um, uh, and the development of the V1. That technology um, was was based on on pulling in from the the outside to to fuel and propel. Um, so uh, there's we've demonstrated the ability to do it. It's just now harnessing. Um, uh, the resources that that exist and then growing the opportunities and the capabilities and how involved is cosmosphere in all of this i mean you you talk about the education program you're not right. directly affiliated with nasa Do, is there are there any um conversations that you have with with you know between nasa and cosmosphere and space camp or are there any uh, I don't want to say marketing, but uh, education programs out there to promote the advantages of, of space exploration, especially given the question of the politics of it. If an administration change happens or some, you know, some, some big turnover happens in Washington, there still needs to be a big push that space exploration is still needs to be a thing. So are you all involved in that at all? Absolutely. I think that's part of our core mission is is the education to the general public about the importance of space exploration, about what uh, has happened in the past, what is happening in the present, and then what we're looking at in the future um, to hopefully inspire the next generation of, of scientists, of, of mathematicians, potential astronauts, machinists, welders, um, talking to the public and especially uh, kids about why we need to continue to explore space and, and what the benefits are. Um, you, you can look you know, to, to a lot of things that we use today in our daily lives and they directly came out of the space program. Um, and so I think if we want to continue to advance and evolve as a society, we're going to need it to continue to sustain the space program. And I think it's incredibly important that the Cosmosphere is one of the leaders in educating our society about that. Now, what about the Nazis that are on the moon right now? <laughs> We've had a number of a number of documentaries about it. I mean, they're already up there, but no, but but on a serious front on that, you know, with the space race, with the the competition between governments, what what aspects of conflict? are possible here because if we go out into space and it turns into this big nationalistic we got there first right and people are worried with the space force being in in place now the militarization of it is that an inevitable outgrowth of all of this you see that that that's going to be something that becomes a thing at some point or is everybody pretty much able to set the nationalism aspects aside and just, this is just space exploration or we'll launch a colony or whatever? Well, unfortunately, I think we're in a day and age when the, the nationalism is, is uh, prevalent. I, I personally would hope that it is more about um, 
unity and, and exploration um, and, and cooperation. Uh, but I think given the, the current political climate and environment, um, that, that isn't necessarily the case. And, and uh, throughout the history of, of space exploration, um, there's been this tie between uh, those who, who are committed to, to exploring and, and the military. Um, and so I think that is inevitable. Um, you know, you can argue that uh, the technology drives the military or military drives the technology. Um, and so I think there's always going to be a, a tie between the two, which then creates this nationalistic feeling um, about the exploration of, of space. And um, I think to truly accomplish what um, has been discussed um, over the last several years and, and to truly begin thinking about any type of colonization um, is going to require um, a unification of, of countries and, and technologies and resources. Uh, otherwise, um, it's going to, in my opinion, get to the point where it's too cost prohibitive for any one country um, to try and continue to develop. How much does the Artemis program, for example, factor into that? Is that the next step or it's just one aspect of various different things that we're looking into for getting back out to, to the moon and to Mars? I think for the Artemis program, it, it, it's our next step. Um, again, we haven't been to the moon since 1972, and I think it's important uh, for this country uh, to, to demonstrate uh, its ability um, and, and its technology um, to do it. If, if we look at then going further than, than just putting boots um, on the lunar surface, um, then I think it's going to be important to, to have a cooperative effort. Uh, but if you're talking just uh, getting back to the, to the moon, um, that's that's a, a an endeavor that this country could could handle on its own. Uh, but uh, with that being said, I think for us, um, Artemis is very important to demonstrate our ability to, to and capabilities to do that. What are the chances that going to the moon, we get people back out there, it just becomes a PR thing, and we stop? Yeah. Um, great question, and I think that is uh, um, that's a real possibility. Um, again, I think it would will depend on the appetite of the public as well as um, whatever uh, administration is in power, whether Democrat and or Republican. Um, I would hope that uh, it it doesn't take us if, if we get to the moon. It, it's uh, you know not another uh, fifty years before we get back. Um, I would hope once we get to the moon, we're there to stay. Do you still run in? I had a, a great uncle, my grandmother's older brother, to his dying day, never believed that we went to the moon. Do right. you still have the skeptics out there? Are there still people out there that don't believe we went back, that we, went, yeah, that we went out there? Because now that we haven't been back in 50 years, Right. It's a whole lot e easier to sit there and go, oh, well, you know, that was just that was just a, a, a thing. It was just computers, you know, Kubrick and his movie studio. <laughs> Do you still get that a lot? Or Absolutely. I, I, I don't think that will ever go away. Um, and that's something that um, will we as an organization will continue to, to try and dispel. Uh, but I'm, I regardless of. Um, what happens and what proof uh, someone is able to provide. There will always be those who um, doubt whether that was real or not. Uh, 
Uh, you mentioned cooperation being a key to some of the bigger operations. Uh, NASA, not Bridenstine, but one of the previous directors, uh, had made a speech one time basically saying that NASA's priority was Muslim outreach, and that kind of raised a few hackles. And we see the discussion about inclusion and diversity and that sort of thing. Is that political enough that it needs to stay out of the sphere of space exploration? Shouldn't we be focused on whoever has the the talent and the skills and the abilities, no matter what they look like or where they come from? Or do we have to focus on that aspect of it because reasons? I mean, why, why should that even be a thing? I, I don't think it should. I think... Um, whoever is, is qualified, um, regardless of race, creed, um, religion, color, uh, it, it, it doesn't make any difference. Um, the most qualified individual or, or the most qualified um, countries or, or businesses or entities um, should be leading the charge, um, regardless of, of who they are or where they're located. All right. With that, we will let you have the last word, Jim Remar, at the Kansas Cosmosphere. Where can people find you online? Cosmo.org. C-O-S-M-O dot O-R-G. Okay. And you are also on Twitter, I believe, Kansas Cosmosphere. And uh, Instagram and Facebook. All right. Well, we will have to make another trip down there very soon. Thanks very much uh, for your time today, sir. We do appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. All right. And we do thank everybody for watching and being here today. Don't forget, to, if you want a, a sticker, you can send us a an envelope. And uh, tomorrow on the program, Peter Sumiti from Alterna Comics will be here. We'll be talking about his experiences as a comic book publisher and the different trials and tribulations that are going on in there right now. Uh, tonight, possibly, well, tonight we'll have an update on uh, Comic-Con cancellations. We're looking at possibly delaying Triple Bytes uh, for later in the week until we have some more news coming out of Comic-Con at home. In the meantime, we do invite you to subscribe to the channel and uh, give us a thumbs up and uh, share the links to our videos. We are posting pretty much every day. And we do invite you to take part in that and uh, leave us a comment on the stuff that you like and tell us why you don't like something. All right, we're going to be back tomorrow at noon here live from the bunker. Thanks for watching. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.